0: Welcome to Strictly Anime, a podcast for anime reviews and discussions, by casuals, for casuals. My name is Courtney.
1: And I am Carl.
0: This is episode 27, and we're reviewing Code Geass, Lelouch of the Rebellion, Season 1, Part 1. As always, there'll be spoilers throughout this episode, so you've been warned.
1: That was a mouthful.
0: It was. It's only proper to say the full title, so I I said the full title. <laughs> Code yes. I'm really excited to talk about this anime because anytime that we can talk about a throwback, especially one that's from my early days of weebness anime watching, um, I, I just love it. I love the nostalgia that comes along with it and I love watching you watch it for the first time because this is a wild show.
1: Yeah, actually the first time I remember you mentioned Code Yes was probably like 10 years ago when we had compiled a list of anime that you wanted me to to see and I think Code Gias was included on there and I always joked about it being called Code Geass <laughs> <laughs> which I'm sure is like a really lame thing for anyone who has watched the show and is probably used to that joke but yeah it's kind of weird that 10 years later I am finally getting to watch the show.
0: I actually um when did the show premiere?
1: it premiered or according to wikipedia it premiered in 2006
0: okay because i remember um one of my friends recommended it and he was reading the manga and he's he's a hardcore manga person he's like i know you only watch anime but you should really watch code kiosk i'm reading the manga and it's fantastic and you're gonna love it and i i've always been a big fan of clamp in terms of like the early stuff from from my childhood most notably, Cardcaptor Sakura. Um, and I think Tsubasa Chronicles was another big one that, that I was into. But I just, I think at that point, when I w- you know, was a little bit older, I wasn't super into the idea of watching a clamp anime, because I figured it would just be a kid show. Um, but he convinced me, I watched it, and as you're learning very quickly, this is not a kid show.
1: No, it's a very confusing political drama mixed in with Slice of Life. It's just fucked.
0: <laughs> yeah, the show was super unexpected, at least just from what I knew about Clamp and, and what they've created. Um, it was very unexpected, and I was pleasantly surprised. And it's it's a lot to absorb. There's a lot going on, um, but it's it's a great story. And I'm going to try my best, as always, with these anime that we review where I've seen it and, and you're watching it for the first time. I'll try my best to, of course, not spoil anything, um, but mm-hmm. also to try and have similar similar first time viewing reaction i will be honest though it's been so long since i've watched code geass and there's so much happening in the show that there are a lot of things that i feel like i'm watching for the first time because i completely forgot that they had happened i know the overall story i know some of the the major plot points and and big you know reveals and stuff like that but some of these little things it's kind of nice to almost experience them again for the first time but not literally for the first time
1: Yeah, me going in as a first, a true first-time viewer, um, you know, at the very start, I felt like we were, I was just throwing just a shitload of characters and, you know, information about the world, about this conflict between Britannia and Japan, before I even had time to think about anything. Um, It was kind of like that scene from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia where Charlie's in front of that conspiracy board, and he's trying to piece things together. (laughs) And, you know, his his brain is going, like, a mile a minute. But, you know, even though the show kind of bombards you with everything, it throws in a lot of, like, political intrigue that does start to make sense as you go through each episode. And I guess to kind of sum up the whole premise of the show, it's basically what would happen if Britain invaded Japan. And... Me personally, I find it very dubious that Britain would have developed Mecca more powerful enough to stop Japanese Mecca. <laughs> that's a good point, right? And it's this takes place apparently in an alternate universe in the two thousand tens, which I think by that time Japan would have been pretty developed um, against anything that Britain had to throw in it. But that's just another story.
0: It is weird looking back, like when when we we started this and. You know one of the first cards that you see is like back in 2010 and then it jumps forward to 2017 like yeah the world's literally nothing like this like our technology is nowhere near this advanced <laughs> or at least it wasn't back then and it certainly isn't now
1: <laughs> which is weird because like we said it premiered in 2006 so 2010 or even 2017 was just uh 10 years down the road so for them to just pick a time frame so close to the future is kind of odd And i feel like that's happened in other shows where, you know, it says it takes place, or it was probably a show that we watched in the past that took place in the late 2000s, 2010s. And looking back at it now, it's like, no, our, our world's not like that at all.
0: It, the, I think the best example of that is Akira. Didn't it take place during the Tokyo 2020 Olympics, which is crazy that that mm-hmm. all kind of came to fruition although who knows if the olympics will go on fingers crossed you know i I fully believe that it'll happen we'll see um but i think that that's something that we look at and i'm like oh my god when i watched it a long time ago i was like oh my god that's that's so cool but then now now i'm like yeah 2020 while there you know was kind of this apocalyptic feel to the year we had nothing going on like what they showed in in akita
1: yeah But for what it is, uh, the show for something that came out in the early to mid-2000s, I would say it has very crisp and clear animation that's pretty up to par to some of the stuff that we've recently seen um, that have come out in recent years. And I know you keep mentioning Clamp. That's a manga artist group. Is that right? It's not like a style of anime or manga?
0: No, they, I mean, they have their own distinct style, but yeah, they, they make, um, they're well-known for, for their, um, their kid shows. <laughs> they have a lot of great, um, uh, great manga. And I'm thinking of like, see, I don't know if it's XXX holic or if it's holic. I know people say it different. I grew up saying XXX holic, which is a mouthful. Obviously I'm already stumbling over my words. Um, but yeah, they're, they're more known for their manga, I think, but they have a very distinct style, especially when it comes to like the eyes, the way they animate the eyes.
1: Yeah, I think that's what took me a while to get used to at first, um, because the way that a lot of these characters are drawn, it seems like they have not very, not like feminine, but just very effeminate features. Yeah. But again, all that aside, once you get engrossed in the story, it's just something that you get used to along the way.
0: They draw everyone pretty like there's a lot of pretty boys like lelouch kind of has this am like
1: am i a pretty girl <laughs> he has this
0: like pretty boy look to him although mm-hmm. suzaku also has a, a pretty boy look to him but i feel like he looks more like best boy kind of look i don't know how to describe it but yeah it's it's, it's the eyes it's the slender frame and it's it's the eyes
1: then revolves looks like a dunce <laughs>
0: So this will be a really good conversation. There's just so much to to talk about with this anime. I'm very much looking forward to reliving this. And we're both really excited to um, go through. This will pretty much be like a four-part podcast series, I think, because we're going to tackle both season one and season two in two parts. And we're excited to have our good friend Aaron from Under the Bun on YouTube as our first official guest, which will happen at the end of this month for the season one part two episode of Code Geass. So look forward to that.
1: Yeah, I can't wait to talk to you, Aaron. So
0: let's jump into the synopsis, because as always, there's a lot to talk about.
1: All right, here we go. Code Geass, Lelouch of the Rebellion, is a 2006 anime series produced by Sunrise, Mainichi Broadcasting System, and Project G.I.A.S., directed by Goro Taniguchi, and with characters conceived by Clamp, an all-female Japanese manga artist group. The series follows Lelouch v. Britannia, who leads a rebellion group called the Black Knights to oppose the colonial superpower of Britannia. In episode 1, the day a new demon was born, apparently 11 years ago in the year 2010, Britannia invaded Japan using mecha anime technology and renamed the country Area 11 because Japan doesn't quite roll off the Britannian tongue. Seven years later, we follow Britannian high school student LaDouche in Area 11 as he gets stuck inside a military stru- a military truck stolen by rebels that supposedly houses a container of poison gas. The truck crashes in the Shinjuku Ghetto and is surrounded by an army of Japanese-turned honorary Marley- excuse me, honorary Britannians, one of which is LaDouche's Lebanese childhood friend, Suzaku. We learn that the truck is actually housing a girl with green hair, and Suzaku is shot down for defying orders to kill her and LaDouche. The girl sacrifices herself to save LaDouche and grants him up special c- power called Gios. So LaDouche, like any typical angsty anti-establishment high school student, uses it to command the soldiers to become and heroes. Because we learned that this Britannian really fucking hates Britannia.
0: Right out of the gate, the OP is a banger. Probably one of the best OPs ever. Mostly because of the song. I mean, that, that song is just fantastic. It's so hype. I mean, Carl knows I like to dance to it yeah. sometimes. You just gotta, you gotta like, you know, just let the music take over you okay and this is a song that can like take over everything but it's super nostalgic for me and definitely is not one that you skip it's it's fantastic the visuals are are really good too um very typical anime but i enjoy watching them and yeah I, i can't gush enough about this opening it's fucking awesome
1: all i can really say is that it reminds me of you know campy um opening themes from those days uh is it it just has that distinct sound, where, I don't know, it's not it's not like poppy, but it's also I think it's the, that trumpet in the beginning that <laughs> makes me think like this sounds straight out of two thousand.
0: The fucking trumpet.
1: Yeah, um, and you know the opening it bombards you again like with the entire show it bombards you with all these colors, which the name of the song is Colors by Flo. Um, and it just throws all these characters at you too. And it's even now it's hard for me to keep track of who is named who, and even writing these notes, um, as we watched each episode, I had to like write out descriptions of what the characters look like, um, because I didn't remember their names, but yeah you see a bunch of them in this opening and I'll admit it. The song grew on me and now it's on my Spotify anime playlist as an early 2000s banger.
0: It's sensory overload for sure. And on the flip side, you have the ending, which I never really cared for back when I first watched the show and I still don't. Um, it's it's stylized and that it's very much like paintings, maybe like watercolor paintings. I don't know how to describe it, but I do like the, the visuals, but I don't care much for the song. I do find it interesting though that the ending is pretty much giving you backstory on all the main characters.
1: Yeah, visuals are, are fine. The song just creeps me out it sounds like a creepy cryptic patriotic anthem um the song by the way the title is chivalrous youth song by ollie project which already sounds like you know a nationalistic kind of th- a theme and it sounds like that creepy song from attack on titan season two i think mostly because the vocals are just so shrill which is like, it's like it hurts my ears sometimes. This yeah,
0: I like. that's probably my least favorite part of that ending song. I think it fits Code Geass in the sense that it sounds very regal, sounds very, I guess British. I don't know how to describe it. Not like, like old European almost. Um, mm. I, I can tell the vibe they were going for was to match the feel of Britannia, but I just the the song doesn't hit for me. It doesn't slap anywhere near the way Colors slaps.
1: Yeah, so that is staying off my Spotify anime playlist.
0: My only comment about this first episode, though, is that, as we've kind of already alluded to, it's a lot to digest. Um, one thing that I think you're learning pretty quickly with, with Code Geass is that it throws a lot at you, and it's, like, up here all the time. And most anime are, like, up here. No one can see me, but I'm kind of, like, putting my hand, like, up in the air, like, it's, like, up here. In terms of you know starting off strong and wanting to throw a lot at you with characters and world building, but then most anime will taper off. Um, Code Geass pretty much never does that. It's up here all the time. Like mm-hmm. you're just like you're you're high in the sky all the time throughout this whole show. So yeah, it's it. This starts off that exact same way. It moves very quickly. There's a lot to get through, and really, I think the main point of this first episode is not only to establish Lelouch and his power of of Geass but also to show you that he's not going to be your typical protagonist. He's super vengeful and he's got his, his motives and you're along for this ride
1: now. Yeah. A couple takeaways for me from this episode, besides what the fuck is happening. Um, again, I question the validity of a country based on Britain taking over Japan so easily with these British mechas that happen to feed Japanese technology. Um, that are called nightmares. And I had to kind of write this up, but apparently there are different models of these nightmares. There's like the Glasgow and the Sutherland models. I think the Sutherland is used by the Britannian army. Um, so that's just me trying to clear up some of the world building that happens in this first episode. Um,
0: Glasgow is the one that Colin uses, right? Who's Colin? K-A-L-L-E-N. Oh, Colin. Cal- <laughs> Callen? I'm Cal-Lan. sorry. I say it like how they say it. With I was the Japanese thinking voice like, actors. like,
1: Colin from Who's Line? Oh, <laughs> they're
0: like, Colin. Um, Callan? I don't know. I I don't know, like, how to pronounce some of these names. Like, yeah. I, I say C2. I think some of the fandom says CC because the um, subtitles write it out as CC, but I'm pretty sure the Japanese version is C2. And whenever I say CC, I think of... Um, cc from the office the little jim's pee pee jim, and Pam. <laughs> jim and pam's little girl mm. so i just say c2 and that's how i've always said it so i'm gonna keep saying it like that sorry if that bothers anybody but, but yeah I, that's how i say it's colin sorry colin right Callan? how do you pronounce I, it
1: Callan, i guess
0: okay i'll, I'll try to say Callan, but sometimes i might say colin
1: but Yeah, i think she stole one of the sutherland models i don't remember but because again this was the first episode and there was just a lot going on um, the green hair girl, which we know her name's um, C two or CC or whatever. She gave off a lot of Nia vibes from Gurren Lagan, which I think came out a year after this show, which is kind of kind of interesting to note of.
0: So maybe Nia gave off a lot of C two vibes.
1: Mm. Mm. Mm-hmm. All these mecha getting vibes off each other. <laughs> um, she mentions the Ragnarok connection. I remember taking a note on that which I don't think is addressed in this first half but I'm curious to know what that is and I think one other pivotal scene in this first episode is I think the first introduction of Lelouch he is playing a chess match and I think that kind of becomes significant as we see some of these later episodes about um, what Lelouch does in his quest for like this rebellion against Britannia. In episode 2, The White Knight Awakens, some ponytail bitch named Violetta arrives to the massacre and asks Ladouche what in the fuck is going on here. His response is to use his newfound power to steal her nightmare and secretly lead the rebel scum in an attack against the Britannian forces destroying Shinjuku under Viceroy Clovis's order. Also, Suzaku Naderu is still alive, having been protected Rush Hour 2 style by a watch inside his suit. And he is given orders to use the special nightmare called Lancelot to retaliate against LaDouche's offensive. LaDouche is saved at the last second by a rebel girl named Callan, and he eventually makes it onto Clovis' transport to confront him, revealing himself as his exiled younger brother, LaDouche v. Britannia.
0: This is that first instance to what you mentioned before about the game of chess that we really see Lulu. Lelouch. I almost said Lelouch. Lelouch <laughs> treating the battlefield like a game of chess, which I think is really cool. You see that kind of throughout this first half. Um, and I just love that they made that hard connection. Like he he sees this as a game. He sees he can read the battlefield. He understands strategy. And even though he's just a high school student, he, he doesn't need to have, I guess, formal military training to be able to command forces. So mm.
1: props to Lelouch. Yeah, again with that analogy to the chess match, he calls out. I think their actual like tiles or whatever you call it, the the squares in chess. He calls out each group by those names, like N nine or C three or whatever. It's weird because like it's a resistance group that he just met. So how would they already know like their classifications or their names to kind of follow his orders?
0: Yeah, my my assumption is that maybe you know outside of what we saw, he assigned every group. A number mm-hmm. you know in in the middle of this like heated battle he was he had enough time to assign everybody their numbers <laughs> yeah
1: a couple more questions in terms of illusion this episode how does he suddenly know how to pilot a nightmare
0: yeah that's an anime <laughs> thing for sure like i don't know a character will have no familiarity or no training on how to use a piece of technology or a machine they could like touch it they could l- just lay their eyes on it and suddenly they're a pro at how to use it so mm-hmm. th- you just gotta, I guess, gloss over that one.
1: Yeah, and I guess another question I have about this, which is probably, probably your typical anime trope, is you know I think they establish loose as a high school student. So how is he already so formidable enough to lead an entire resistance group from this episode, and then in subsequent episodes become the leader of this whole rebellion?
0: I have the answer for you. It's because he knows how to play chess. Okay, yeah. <laughs> and I don't know how to play chess, <laughs> FYI. So I guess I could never lead a resistance force in a war. So mm-hmm. that's fine.
1: Uh, the only other comment I have about uh, the second episode is the music that they introduced in this episode is beautiful. It's just like the chef's kiss of of this series. Um, the whole series was composed, or the songs in this series were composed by Kotaro Nakagawa. Um, two songs that are... M- played in this episode are Brain Game. Um, It's the intense, like, espionage-like music when Lancelot is launched. Um, It kind of reminds me of, you know, Tank from Cowboy Bebop, that kind of feel. The second one is called Nightmare after the mechas that we see in this uh, series, which is that kind of, like, Spanish jazz fusion music that plays when Suzaku faces off against Lelouch um, in their mecha.
0: I am so glad that you love the music because the soundtrack... The, the score or whatever you want to call it from the show is is phenomenal. And I, I f- it's one of the things I forgot about with this show. And then rewatching the second episode, I'm like, yes, I remember how good this is. Um the one where I can't remember which, which song it was that you mentioned the, the nightmare one. Basically whenever a Lancelot comes out and you have that sort of um Hispanic jazzy type song that you mentioned. That's my favorite one, I think, of of all of the the music in mm. Code Geass. It's just it's just so hype. And I love that they tie that directly into anytime Lancelot's on screen because it has, it, it gives that that mecha its own feel. And it, it is a very distinct mecha compared to the ones that we've seen before. Mm-hmm. And it just hypes that that one up so much. Like it just makes me so excited for anytime Suzaku is able to go into battle.
1: It's just weird because, you know, this is a show about British and Japanese, not cultures, but like that's the premise of it is again, Britain versus Japan. And then you mix in this Spanish-sounding music. It's weird. It shouldn't work, but it just does.
0: It's so good. Oh, my God.
1: Mm. So moving on to episode three, The False Classmate. Using cheat code GIAS, Ledouche forces Clovis to spill details about his commoner mother's death at the hands of the royal family and sends his brother to kingdom come. We are then treated to the slice of life portion of this anime, where we meet Ledouche's blind sister, Nunnally, and we learn that Colin, the rebel girl who saved LaDouche, is a fellow classmate at Ashford Academy. Both are suspicious of each other, and while LaDouche tries using cheat code Gias to learn more about Colin he discovers that the power can only be used once per person. Meanwhile, acting viceroy and pureblood factionist Margrave Jeremiah announces the death of Clovis and frames Suzaku Nareru as the murderer because he is an Eleven Devil. A Dev Eleven, if you will.
0: I love watching lelouch discover the limits or the rules around using geos the whole moment with him and callan where he says um oh by the way don't tell anyone this and she's like tell anyone what and he just panics i think that's so good and you get more of that throughout this first half of the uh of the series or first half of the season where he's using geos in different ways to try and push the limits or test how long it lasts things like that um and so i i really appreciated that when it comes to the whole concept of Gias, because often in anime, it's like a character will get a power and like, sure, they'll kind of feign that they're learning about it. But really they, as we talked about earlier with, with you know, technology or, or things like that, they just master it so fast. But here it's like Lelouch really doesn't know what um what this power is all about and we see him come up with these really interesting and clever ways to to test it out and that's very good or not good but very true to his character like he's smart he acts very carefully the second he realizes that um what happened with callan shows that there's some limits to his power he immediately tries to to figure out those those limits and and that's just how he is he thinks on his feet he he strategizes he always tries to be 10 steps ahead so that he doesn't put himself into any bad position so overall i just love that he is still exploring this power and that we as the audience aren't the only ones who don't know about you know the the full scope of Gias.
1: i think that just goes back to the analogy of him as the chess player um in this whole show with everything that you mentioned um and i don't think we've talked about just how again Gias is an op power you're basically given the ability to control anyone and command them something to do. And it it's just, I mean, it's its a nice caveat that he, he can only use it. So he can only use it once per person or like once per an instance with that person like in a day. And so, then the next day it resets.
0: Yeah, well, I think what they've established so far is that Giás can be used once per person. Um, it seems like, and I'm dropping ahead of a couple episodes here, but it seems like it will continue to last maybe infinitely because you have that one girl who's carving numbers into the wall each Mm. day that she's affected by gias um it can only work if he makes direct eye contact with somebody and i think i don't want to speak too far out um but i think that's what they've established so far in terms of gias
1: so like with Callan, he can't control her after that one instance in this episode
0: correct okay is what they've established. So, um I think I'm trying to think if there's anything else. I don't know, maybe I'll I'll remember something. But yeah, I think that's what they've they've shown us so far.
1: So, then he has to just be very careful about when he uses the power in terms of like if he wants a certain outcome of a situation or to gain favor with someone then.
0: Correct. And as I think they're alluding to with some of these characters like he's already used power or the Geass power on some characters who are catching on to him um or who may be you know causing some some ripples in his plans um and we have yet to see at this point you know if that'll come back to bite him in the ass basically if he's already exhausted his one use of Gias on a certain character how does he overcome that when they i guess cause issues for him later on mm-hmm. also i think we established that sorry i I knew there's one more i was forgetting we established that he cannot use Gias on c2
1: okay
0: Right. I think he, he tried using it on her and she was like, nah, brah, I'm the one who gave you that power. You can't fucking use that on me.
1: That was stupid. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, I guess that makes sense. If she's giving him something, he can't go turn around and like use know, it against for her. For him
1: to, to try to do that.
0: Oh, yeah. So. <laughs> I think it was. I can't remember specifically when, but I think it's when he saw her just dicking around in the courtyard at school. And he's like, what the fuck are you doing? And I think that's when he tried to use it or maybe when she showed up with Nunnally in his house. I can't remember, but I'm pretty sure at this point we've established that it cannot be used on C2. Yeah,
1: don't bite the hand that feeds the The only other comment I have with this episode, and I think it's the first time we hear it, again, this is a music reference, um, there's that weird trumpet that is used in the score. Again, it has no place in this series, but it just works so well in establishing um, a sense of unease or tension. And I think this trumpet becomes a motif throughout the show for the fledgling rebellion that lelouch is trying to put together
0: those moments i think that you're talking about where there's like something weird going on or it's very like low-key in that scene but that trumpet comes on mm-hmm. it reminds me of like those old 1920s detective movies or something um with the black and white ones or maybe i don't know what i'm talking about but like i'm thinking like la noir style stuff Mm. It just seems I get those vibes whenever I hear it come on. I'm like, oh, I can see that. (laughs) There's there's a detective in the room somewhere.
1: Yeah, I would say a more relevant reference is it sounds like that thing in Among Us at the beginning of each game, where it's like, oh yeah, it's like, oh, there's an imposter among us. Um, But yeah, again, I think it just trumpets overall as shrill as they can sound. Like they're good at establishing like something's not right here.
0: Last thing I'll say about episode three, which is um, it was kind of the talk of the town with Code Kiosk when this show first came out. Because, again, when you think Clamp, you often think and I'm not saying every single Clamp show is a kid's show. But usually when you think Clamp, you're like, oh, this is a kid's show. And then we get the shower scene with Callan and it's just overall a very weird scene. And, and removing the whole like there's a high school kid kind of like semi naked out of the picture. Uh, it's just weird because she's so comfortable having Lelouch there. Like I have so many questions. First of all, why would he of all people deliver clothes to Callan? Why not one of the girls? And even if he offered, and I'm surprised none of the girls were like, uh, no Lelouch will go and deliver her clothes to her in the shower. And then there's a phone in the bathroom, which I guess was a thing back in the day. Like, you know, some people had phones in their bathrooms at their houses but there's a phone in the bathroom, and she doesn't find it weird that Lelouch answers the phone while she's showering in the background. I don't know. It just it, The whole thing seems weird. And then Colin, I'm surprised she wasn't more sus of the voice that's calling her at that moment. Like, how did Zero just happen to know she was in the bathroom, first of all? And then she's, like, showering. I would have been like, oh, let me call. I mean, not for Zero, maybe. But I would have been like, oh, let me just let that ring. I'll call whoever it is back. Or maybe I'll answer it and be like, yeah, I'm showering. Can I call you back? I don't know. The whole thing to me was just a very odd scene besides the fact that she was like semi-naked and Lelouch was in the bathroom with her. But I think it's the fan service that that Clamp is bringing to Code Geass.
1: Yeah, yeah there was a lot happening in these first couple episodes that all, that whole conversation thing kind of flew over my head. And I was just focused on why are they showing this girl in a shower scene? <laughs> um, it's a kid's show. That's why. Yeah. In episode four, his name is Zero. His name is Lee, goddammit. Suzaku Nareru is clearly being used as a scapegoat so that Jeremiah can push for the removal of Elevens from the army. Kallen and the rebel scum are summoned by Ledouche, who dons the secret identity Zero, and enlists their help in saving Suzaku Nareru from his transport to court, by dramatically revealing himself as Clovis' true murderer, and, of course, by using cheat code Gias to make Jeremiah let him go. Zero tries convincing Suzaku to join the rebel cause, but he refuses, preferring to champion law and order by following through with his trial. Also, green-haired discount girl Nia randomly pays Nunnally a visit. Where in the fuck did she come from? All right, folks, are you ready? Get ready, because I'm going to make another Dark Knight reference. Oh, boy. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's the standard to which I hold a lot of pop culture media. But I think the very significant thing in this episode is this growing dynamic between lelouch and suzaku which is very similar to that of batman and harvey dent because i think they have two different ideologies in how they are seeing this conflict between britannia and japan because suzaku is more of the accepting of like the bureaucracy of the situation while Lelouch wants to kind of subvert that um, because of the immense control that the Britannian empire has on, on the people. And the other thing about it is it's interesting because each of them is kind of self-loathing with respect to their own nationalities, because we know that Lelouch is the son of the Britannian emperor and he wants to take down Britannia and Suzaku is the son of Japan's last prime minister. But he has become like this honorary Britannian who kind of abides by their laws and and what they're enforcing.
0: Well, I wouldn't necessarily say that Suzaku's self-loathing. I think he's very proud to be Japanese. Um, I just think that mm-hmm. he uh, he he's softer in his approach um, on how to change things for the betterment of the Japanese people. So I think he just isn't taking his nationality by the reins and kind of you know blowing into britannia the way lelouch is doing
1: that's true so i guess like lelouch is more of the self-loathing type um but yeah just a small comment here and i don't want to give away any spoilers for people who have not watched attack on titan but it's kind of weird how similar both of these shows are
0: yeah that's true but to your point about the dark knight so i'm guessing lelouch is batman
1: yeah and he has the mask <laughs> and he has Su- a
0: mask suzaku is harvey dent Mm -hmm. but let's be honest suzaku is way cooler than harvey dent like harvey dent's fucking annoying to me in that movie sometimes uh i do feel bad for the guy on a certain level but suzaku is best boy and i agree i think that suzaku his approach is very um internal like he wants to infiltrate i guess the um you know the the system and and fix it from the inside out and then lelouch's approach is very external he's just going to apply force on britannia to crumble them and reestablish Japanese—not supremacy, but Japanese, like the Japanese government—essentially allow them mm-hmm. to, to be free and be their own people.
1: And going back to the whole mask thing, it, it's kind of like Guy Fox vibes, and how it's—he's trying to use it to kind of galvanize the people um, to r- rally behind this cause of uh, overthrowing the Britannian Empire.
0: I do not understand that reference. What is that? Guy Fox. I mean, I know yeah. that, I know that name,
1: but I don't. V for Vendetta. Oh,
0: duh. Okay, yes. V for yes. Vagina. Yeah. <laughs> v for <Beaver> Vagina. <laughs> so
1: the, between Two Ferns, uh, oh. Zach Galifianakis. I
0: was like, what? I've never heard that before. I I remember when V for Vendetta came out because I, I watched it in theaters mm-hmm. and. Oh, my God. Everyone in school was, like, all about that. And everyone in fucking, for Halloween, they, they all fucking wore the the Anon mask.
1: Because it was, yeah, it was a symbol of, like, rebellion. I, I do
0: I do like that movie. Okay, now I get what you're talking about. That makes sense. Um, the other thing I wanted to call out for episode four is that we really get the sense that Lelouch is playing the political game, not just the, the physical game. Um, he, in this episode, has every opportunity to attack, even though, I mean, not really, because he's got, like him, Callan, and like one other person, maybe Ogi, I can't remember. Mm -hmm. So really, they would be taken out in a heartbeat. But this shows that he doesn't necessarily need physical force to make an impression on Britannia. And I really, really appreciated this episode. And we'll see plenty more of that as the show goes on.
1: Last thing, I kind of feel bad for uh, Jeremiah because after this point, he is just forever linked with the code orange. And it's funny because I think Lelouch mentions later on that it's something he completely made up but
0: but didn't someone say orange this is one of those things mm. that like this is fuzzy for me from my recollection of of watching it back in the day i i don't remember maybe i'm like thinking incorrectly about this but i thought someone referenced orange um didn't they call c2 like orange or something
1: i don't really remember but i i do remember characters mentioning orange and how jeremiah did know so maybe it was just pure coincidence like i
0: i I thought that okay i could be totally wrong let me i'll just spit this out there i thought that um clovis was was calling orange kind of like the the code name for c2 in that capsule in the first episode Uh. and then wallalu should probably just kind of pull that out of his ass like that's like a, a subtle connection because he was there when they were talking about i don't know i could be completely wrong if I'm wrong, I'm sorry. Just ignore me and, mm-hmm. and skip ahead to my, my ramblings being finished here.
1: <laughs> but I think the, the point I wanted to make is just, you know, Jeremiah kind of loses his credibility after this event. And, you know, people just keep bringing up oranges around him. And that just makes him, <laughs> you know, wallow deeper in his sorrows. Poor guy. So moving on to episode five, The Princess and the Witch. Turns out, Discount Nia's real name is CC or C2 or Shitsu or something like that, and she decides to be a squatter in Ledusha's residence as he reveals to her his plans to dismantle the Britannian Empire. Suzaku Nareru is acquitted of all charges because of Zero's confession, and the masked vigilante is garnering some interest from the Japan Liberation Front Splinter Rebel Group. Suzaku becomes friends with a girl named Yuffie who literally falls into his arms from the sky. They quell an attempt on the disgraced Jeremiah's life in Shinjuku, where Yuffie reveals herself as Euphemia, the third princess of Britannia. Also to add more confusion to this royal rumble of a family, Yuffie's older sister Cornelia prepares to tear some shit up in Area 11 by vowing to capture Zero. Also also is anyone else's head hurting from all the shit already going on in this show.
0: To that point, that's like the only note I have about this episode is, and yet again, the plot thickens. It gets more and more complex each episode.
1: Mm-hmm. So I know with the earlier episode, you mentioned, you know, Suzaku is trying to be like this compromising force um, between um, his, between like the 11s and him being like an honorary Britannian. But the one scene I wanted to point out is when he is trying to break up a fight between like the Britannians and the 11s, he's called out as a sellout or a traitor by the 11s or the japanese but then the britannians also reprimand him for letting the 11s go so even though he's trying to be this bridge i don't think he's being accepted by either side just because of the choice he made to you know become this honorary britannian
0: he's stuck between a a rock and a hard place
1: yeah it'll be interesting to see how that dynamic kind of plays out um once we go into the second half of this show but the funny thing is like they have a Lelouch and Suzaku still have a parallel monologue where they're both yearning for this world without war, but they have different means to this end. So, In episode 6, The Stolen Mask, Suzaku Naderu joins the Ashford Academy to the delight of Nunnally, but to the dismay of his classmates, to whom his Eleven heritage is a major turnoff. But fuck if we should care, because the rest of this episode is about chasing a stray cat that stole Lelouch's Zero Mask, putting his secret identity at risk. LaDouche thankfully retrieves the mask from the school rooftop and makes it look like Suzaku Naruru saved him in order for the latter to learn to earn the student body's respect. This bizarre episode ends even more bizarrely with Clovis's state funeral, where Ledouche's father, the 98th Emperor of Britannia, gives a rousing propaganda plug.
0: It's nice to have this lighthearted, fun episode kind of break up the, the intensity of Code Geass, um, I, I just love seeing Lelouch and Suzaku reunite. I love seeing Nunnally just be overjoyed that Suzaku is, is back in her life. Um, there's clearly a very special bond between the two of them. You get that moment where Lelouch kind of signals Suzaku, I think with his collar maybe on his shirt. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they're like, oh, you or still. next the neck signal. Oh, the neck, yeah, yeah. And then they're like, oh, they meet up on the rooftop. And they're like, oh, you still remember that, that signal from back when we were kids. Um, I, I, I love their their story, the two of them. And how they kind of came to be close friends um so yeah this was a really fun episode to watch the only thing that i i called out about this episode is i don't get so you have that moment where lelouch and suzaku are on the roof and they're about to catch the cat and um i think lelouch is the one who almost falls off Mm -hmm. right and suzaku saves him and then all of a sudden all the students start gasping like oh my god they know each other i don't get how they put that together because they're classmates right so obviously they know at least know each other's first names or names in general and all Suzaku did was call out Lelouch's name and then grab his hand so he didn't fall and everyone's like oh my god they they know each other like yeah they're fellow students they are in the same class together why wouldn't they have some you know familiarity with each other by this point I mean they literally introduced Suzaku when he came into the class for the first time I don't know I just it seems so weird that they just instinctively said oh they they have history when he just saved his ass from falling off the roof.
1: But didn't Lelouch clear that up after they got off the roof, and he was telling everyone?
0: Yeah, but before that though, like everyone just immediately uh, was like, "Oh, they must know each other." Like they, it's almost like the the students knew their whole backstory just because Suzaku saved Lelouch from falling off the roof. I'm like, I didn't understand that part. It's super minor, but it just was very strange to me. Like I, I think there would have been there could have been a better way to establish to the students that they have history together versus them just assuming that because. Suzaku don't
1: Oh, teenagers are stupid.
0: Also, we get that first glimpse of um what's her fucking face? Nina?
1: Yes, the green haired Gilda, older Gilda from Promise Neverland.
0: <laughs> yeah, we get that first glimpse of Nina being all like, Oh my god, he's an eleven. Wow like this bitch. She'll she'll continue to, to irk me as the show goes on. Um and I forgot how much I dislike her character until I got to this episode and I was like oh that's right she sucks
1: three things that I took away from this episode one this school is full of major horn dogs because I think Millie promised a kiss from one of the student council members to anyone who could find the cat and it, I think the funniest thing was you know the different clubs or cliques of the school all kind of rallying together because they want a kiss from like Callan <laughs> it's like god poor gallon just yeah. like oh shit These these teenage horn dogs um the second thing do you remember the opening of this episode where i think it's the emperor or he someone like with an older visage says like i just spoke to clovis the project must proceed at once Mm-hmm. when does does that take place like in the present i mean you don't have to answer this because if this is linked to the second half um we can just find out then but i don't know this that opening scene just seemed so out of place and then it didn't really get addressed anywhere else in this episode and future episodes
0: you're talking because Clovis had died by that point yeah um truthfully i don't remember <laughs> and okay. that, I, that like went right over my head i remember yeah. him saying like the project must proceed which i think yeah. they're referencing c2 in that moment but um yeah i honestly don't remember so you're safe
1: (laughs) yeah i don't know if that was present day or if that was a flashback with the emperor at some point but that's the third thing of this episode i want to point out is the introduction of the emperor um he just seemed like a cross between like king george and george washington with a very thinning hairline (laughs) um and the thing he mentions in his his eulogy or his speech um during clovis's funeral is that he says all men are not created equal you know it's an antithesis of, like, the U.S. Declaration of Independence or whatever, but it will be an interesting character, I'm sure, once we see more of him. In Episode 7, Attack Cornelia, Ledouche coldly reminisces about when he accused the Emperor of his mother's death, and the Emperor, being the loving father that he is, banishes him to Area 11 along with his paralyzed and hysterically blinded sister, Nunnally. In present-day, Cornelia challenges Zero to throw down with her in Saitama, and despite Shih Tzu's obse- objections, Ledouche obliges and coordinates Saitama's Yamato Alliance rebels in an attack while disguising himself as one of Cornelia's Sutherland nightmares. The rebels get fucked, and Cornelia, anticipating Zero's espionage, orders all pilots to open their hatches to show their faces. Ledouche is saved at the last minute by Shih Tzu in a decoy Zero outfit, and he forms a greater resolve to build up a united army strong enough to take down these colonial fucks.
0: So that first scene with Lelouch and his, his father when he's you know, kind of pointing the finger at him for his mother's death, the only thing I really like was kind of like, hmm, about was when his father was like, who gave you the clothes on your back? Who gave you the roof over your head? Who gave you all of the privilege and everything that you have um, and yet you dare talk to me like this? Now, that's no excuse for having a hitman pretty much take out your... the 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 mother of your children but i'm like he kind of brings up a good point and and that kind of hits lelouch in the gut he's like oh shit everything i have is because of my father what power do i really have to overthrow him or to put him in his place but i think that is coming full circle here because lelouch is kind of building something on his own to eventually i think his end goal is to challenge his father and and obviously we know overthrow britannia Mm -hmm. so I I just I, I really took note of that because I'm like he's absolutely right and I think that really stuck with Lelouch and, and it's fueling kind of where he's at now.
1: Yeah, you know, kind of going back to that whole thing, all men are not created equal. He kind of considers Lelouch or Lelouch, <laughs> Lelouch as the, like the throwaway son, but yeah, you know, since Lelouch is is building something up to to kind of be like a fuck you to his father, um, I think he can kind of level the playing field now.
0: I think he'll, he'll, he's like waiting for those in the, in a reference for the office, those delicious moments, like what he had with Clovis. He had that delicious moment of being like, psych, it's me, your brother, and you fucking suck and I'm going to kill you. Mm -hmm. Um, But the other thing in this episode is that Lelouch finally has a challenging opponent and it's his own half sister, Cornelia. Um, But to be honest, throughout this whole battle, he was really on a roll. It was until the Japanese resistance started to chicken out that things went downhill for him. But I think that was a sign of his karma because he was clearly using some of them as pawns of his game, you know, part of his decoy and sacrificing their lives intentionally. Which some can argue, and I think Lelouch is kind of arguing this in his own right, that that's part of war. You need to have these casualties in order to get ahead in war. But I think he's being very cold-hearted about it very like um i don't know just very calculated versus like compassionate about the sacrifices that he's forcing his people to make um and yeah this just comes back and, and bites him in the ass
1: yeah this episode kind of shows lelouch um really backed up into a corner especially when you know cornelia kind of anticipated his move of being a uh, disguised amongst her soldiers and then he has to have uh c or C2 ha- uh, save him at the last second cuz she wants to ensure that he he comes out unscathed out of all these conflicts um but i think to your point him being ineffective by using this Yamato Alliance rebel group um it, it establishes the fact that you know these are all kind of splintered resistance groups and he really needs to unify them to again really get his goal of this rebellious resistance against britannia moving um because it seems like since he's trying to control all these splinter groups it's not really going to his advantage but the next episode kind of addresses that where he does put together a very elite squad i would say so let's go ahead and jump into episode eight the black knights In a pivotal episode for the series, the JLF takes the occupants of a lakeside hotel hostage because of their connection to a valuable exploited element called Sakuradite. The group includes Ledouche's student council friends and Princess Yuffie in disguise. Because of the personal stakes, Cornelia treads carefully with the hostage situation, but Zero swoops in with Ogi's group of rebel scum to negotiate with the JLF. Suzaku Naradu is called in and uses Lancelot to submerge the hotel in order to provide the rescue unit access to the hostages. Zero, however, retains control of the situation by ordering the JLF to commit seppuku and saving the hostages themselves. He then makes a public broadcast announcing the formation of the Black Knights, a revitalized rebel group that seeks to serve and protect all who are oppressed by the Britannian Empire, whether Britannian or Lebanese, or paper or plastic. All I have to say about this episode was, damn, this was a good episode.
0: It was a really good episode. Like, I think for me and you, maybe you feel the same way. This is probably the best episode of the first half of the season. It yes. was
1: great. Mm-hmm. Because again, this is where Lelouch gets his time to shine, and he introduces the Black Knights. And I think there's a play on words here because you know they have the Britannia has the nightmare mechas that have been terrorizing Japan for so long, but now it's kind of like Zero and the Black Black Knights who have become Britannia's own nightmare. And what's especially poignant is the final quote of the episode where he's like, those of you with power, fear me. Those who have none, seek me. For we, the Black Knights, shall judge this world. It's just a very rousing speech that he makes to the public at the end of this episode.
0: I also like that we see Lelouch play both sides in terms of Britannia and the the Japan Liberation Front or JLF. Mm -hmm. Um, Because I think up until this point, a lot of people assume that Zero and his crew were in somehow like... in in some sort of alliance with the jlf but he makes it very clear in this episode that they do not have the same i don't know if it's like the same methods or the same end goal as the black knights so he he really um sets that that line in the sand or draw that draws that line in the sand um for the people to say we are different than these guys we're going to change the world by our means um and even though the JLF took hostages, we freed those hostages regardless of their race. And I was like, that's awesome. That, that was just like the best part, I think, of this episode for me. Also, it has Nina being more annoying. Um, so yeah, it just reestab- reestablishes my um, my disdain for her. So that's a, a side note there.
1: Yeah, dumb bitch. <laughs> so Wikipedia lists that there is an episode 8.5 called The Track of the Mask, but this is basically a recap episode.
0: And I hate recap episodes. <laughs> yeah,
1: so we're just going to gloss over that um, now that we are in the age of streaming services. So to episode nine, Refrain. Two weeks after the hotel incident, Zero and the Black Knights crack down on the drug game that has exposed Elevens to Refrain, a hallucinogenic that makes the user feel nostalgic and relive past memories with severe side effects. Suzaku Nairu gets into it with Ledouche about the growing popularity of the rebel group and brushes them off as misguided, and LaDouche continues throwing Callan off the scent about being Zero the hero. We learn more about Callan's fucked up family, where her 11 mother works as an ill-treated maid to her stepmother and Britannian father. In one of the night's drug raids, her mother is revealed as a refrain abuser and is subsequently arrested. Callan comforts her mother at the hospital and promises to change the world for her.
0: Um, When you said Zero the Hero, that just made me think of the song from Hercules, Hercules, (laughs) Zero to Hero, which is a great song. That that Mm. was good. Um, But yeah, this is all about Callan's backstory. Um, And at the end, she realizes that her mom sacrifices a lot for her. And it's a sobering reminder to Callan as to why she fights as a black knight. I just found it weird, though, that Callan, I get that she's annoyed by her mother being so weak and wanting to, like, you know, live this really sad life um, and, and be underappreciated by you know her her father and things like that but she realizes oh it's because she wants to be with her children um and i'm also like but callan your is japanese like you're fighting so hard for the japanese and you treat your own mother like shit mm-hmm. and you live this life of like a britannian because you're half right she's half britannian yeah,
1: half britannian half japanese
0: and so i'm like you're kind of hypocritical this whole episode until she she comes around and realizes at the end but i was like oh callan what the fuck it's
1: because she's an angsty teenager
0: we also get some tension between Lelouch and Suzaku um, in the student council room uh, where their disagreement on the best way to change Britannia for the better and liberate Japan kind of like comes to a head a little bit. Not really. Mm. like It starts to surface, basically. Um, and I think at this point Luc still doesn't know that Suzaku's piloting Lancelot,
1: right? I believe so, yeah.
0: Yeah, so it's, it's just setting up for something very interesting between their friendship.
1: Last thing with episode nine that I want to mention, furries. That is all. (laughs) In episode 10, Gurren Dances, Cornelia, Yuffie, and the Britannian army head to Narita, intent on eliminating the JLF, while Jeremiah and that ponytail bitch seek to investigate a lead on Zero in Ashford. Speaking of which, Zero the hero and the Black Knights observe Cornelia's Narita operation from afar in the hopes of capturing Cornelia so that LaDouche can get more answers about his mother's death. The knights are close to establishing a mutiny, but Zero dares them to try and fuck around with him, so they drop it. Their assault begins, and before Zero is attacked by a Jeremiah hell-bent on revenge, and who is so done with being called Orange, Callan debuts the knight's newest weapon straight out of Kyoto to unleash an avalanche that decimates Jeremiah's nightmare and a good chunk of the Britannian forces. That weapon? Guren not Lagan. In episode 11, Battle for Narita, Guren not Lagan... And the Black Knights nearly beat the dead horse that is the Britannian army, along with JLF's four holy swords as backup, and lure Cornelia into a trap. As the last ace up their sleeve, Yuffie directs Suzaku Nareru to crash the party with Lancelot and save her sister, prompting another face off between him and Zero the hero. Shitsu interferes and uses witchcraft to send Suzaku into a mental spiral, and Ladouche learns of Shitsu's backstory during the process by touching her back. Is that supposed to be a pun? As forces on both sides retreat, Lajuche takes Shitsu to safety in a cave. And she asks him to say my name, say my name. When no one is around you, say that we can't hear you.
0: So, this whole fight on Mount Narita is, is pretty epic. I really liked seeing Cornelia finally be being bested because she's been on top up until this point. And we also see Yuffie stepping up to her duties as a royal, even though she's still kind of unskilled or uncomfortable with doing all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, I did feel really bad for Suzaku with his whole like panic attack. Um, we get a glimpse into his backstory with his father. Very, very high level, but you know, you're starting to kind of get a sense for, um, their, their relationship or that something went down, but I'm like, man, Suzaku's best boy. Like I hated seeing him so upset. I was like, Oh my God.
1: But I think it's just highlighting like, you know, his father was prime minister of Japan back when it was its, its own self-serving nation. And now Suzaku's serving their, basically their colonialists and or colonizers. Um, so, It's Suzaka trying to reconcile with his father, possibly being disappointed in his son.
0: And in this whole, um, between these two episodes uh, that span this whole arc on Mount Narita, there's one point where Ogi says to the fellow resistance folks that they need to trust Zero. And he specifically says that Zero cares about them, and he wouldn't just use them as pawns in some game. Funny enough, he's completely wrong. Um, Zero is very much using them as pawns in a game, or Lelouch is doing that. So it's it's almost this, like, blind loyalty. Um, and I find it interesting because it's kind of the same, not blind loyalty, but just submission that frustrates Lelouch about the Japanese people that, you know, they, they're not kind of stepping up and and defending themselves. They're just accepting their fate. And while it's not literally the same thing, but it's just interesting to see the, the black Knights have this sort of, um, well, I wouldn't call it blind loyalty because it did take a little bit for them to feel comfortable with zero, but it's almost to this point where they're just like doing anything he says, thinking that he's got their best interest in mind like personally each of them which it's just it's not the case at this moment
1: I think it's just you know an example of people rallying behind a cause that they think is going to work out best for them I think generally with the Japanese or the Lebanese people you had all of these different splinter resistance groups that really weren't doing anything effective against Britannia so they couldn't really get behind any of them and that's why they they remained in submission to this empire whereas you know the black knights are supposed to be that differing factor from all these other groups and that they they do have a united front and they're unique in that they're not just fighting for the japanese but they're just fighting for anyone who's been oppressed by this empire so i think ogi realizes how significant the black knights are in comparison to the these other groups which is why he kind of blindly follows zero at this point
0: yeah that's true and i think this hints that like if lush keeps this up like there's there's going to be consequences which we kind of get a little bit of that already in the next episode i won't jump yeah. too far ahead
1: really quick i want to just point out um the introduction of again gordon not Lagan. and i think the significance of this mecca is it's basically the Black Knight's answer to Lancelot with just how OP it is.
0: And funny enough, it's two Japanese pilots fighting each other oh, unknowingly. Yeah. You know, I don't think they realize who's in the, the other cockpit, but mm. yeah, very ironic. Last thing I want to say about this episode is uh, I just want to comment on the whole cave scene between C2 and Lush. So we get a glimpse into her past, uh, but more importantly, we start to get that connection between the Lush and C2 whether that's romantic or just, you know, an alliance or whatever, we start to get that. Um, They share that vulnerable moment again. C2 revealing her real name to Lelouch and then Lelouch saying thank you for rescuing him, which he clearly never says thank you about anything. Um, And Lelouch also tells her that um, she, she, she asked that question earlier on in this arc about, you know, why do you think Snow is white? And he finally responds to her or rather answers her question by saying that he doesn't know why Snow is white, but he does think that it's pretty and that he likes it. Um, And then right after that response, we get the sound of the two drops of water hitting the pool of water underneath, and then the image of the ripples from those spots, um, I guess, connecting at the same tempo. And I think that was to signal that finally Lelouch and C2 are on the same wavelength. So whatever will come of their relationship, they're finally seeing eye to eye.
1: Mm, interesting so i
0: just noted that imagery and that's not usually something that i i catch is, is imagery but um, i thought that was interesting because you get the sounds of the water droplets throughout this conversation but you get the very last one is two droplets hitting at the same time with ripples of the same wavelength so i'm like okay i get it
1: oh i didn't catch that at first see my whole thing during this cave scene is what's her name <laughs> <laughs> um kind of like the the scene in spongebob where he forgets everything except how to wait at tables and, uh. and his brain is like trying to figure out his name
0: it's like name name we got anything on a name yeah
1: because i just wanted to know what is cc's real name and the significance of that
0: it's pp halpert
1: oh yeah <laughs> and in the last episode of part one episode 12 the messenger from kyoto as cornelia tries to figure out how the fuck to stop this rebellion from getting any worse Zero and the Black Knights are invited to Mount Fuji to meet with a lead figure of the Elevenese Underground. Ledouche secretly reveals his identity to the Master and deduces that the Master is Taizo Kirihara, Sakuradite Baron and former acquaintance of Ledouche. Thus, Kirihara assures the Knights that they can trust Zero in their crusade against Britannia. But to make his slice-of-life side more complicated, Ledouche learns that Zero indirectly killed the father of Shirley, his student council Simp. So she mourns properly by planting a big one on LaDouche in the pouring rain. What a beautiful way to send your father off. Also, Nina, what the fuck was that?
0: (laughs) Yeah, we get that moment. What the fuck? (laughs) Where Nina is whacking it on, on a table because she's simping hard for Yuffie. And honestly, I don't know how, but I forgot about this part until the episode started. And I was like, in my head, because you and I were watching this episode together. And in my head, I was like, oh, shit, that's right. That's this episode. So I was trying so hard to keep a straight face when that part was coming up. And I was just like, when it started to happen, I mean, obviously, the the shot is just like her head bobbing back and forth in the darkness. And you don't really get what's happening at first. And then you kind of had this realization. And you're like, wait a minute. fuck? (laughs) What is she doing? And I, oh, my God, inside, I was just like screaming. I'm like, that's right. She whacks it on a table to a picture of Yuffie.
1: (laughs) Because, you know, like previous episodes had these asides where it's Nina looking at pictures of Yuffie or reading up about her. And I didn't think much of it. Then we come to this one. Where I thought, you know, she was having a seizure in the classroom. I
0: mean, she was kind of seizing. <laughs> and, then, and
1: then I forget who comes in and is like, "Nina, what are you doing?" I think it was Nunnally, or, which yeah. is funny,
0: and I, th- I think it oh, was her, which- she's blind. <laughs> yeah, she's blind. Which means her—I don't know if this is true, oh, but god. her sense of hearing might be heightened. <laughs> so maybe as she's rolling down the hallway, she's like, "What is this noise?" <laughs> and then she goes into the room. I don't know. Oh my god. Just like I can't even like this is That's a kid show. It's a kid show, guys. Like this is this is great content for for some uh, for some wholesome viewing.
1: <laughs> oh my god! Like I said, I didn't think much of these scenes with Nina, but now I wish I could continue not thinking about these scenes.
0: <laughs> you will never like the rest of us. You will now never be able to unsee what you saw in this episode.
1: <laughs> Real.
0: But moving on from Nina whacking it. Um, Colin Callan I see I'm gonna flip flop between that. Callan is finally starting to connect the dots with C two. She's sus. She's she's like, something's going on with C two and, and zero. And then Lelouch also reveals that he's Britannian and not Japanese and this part is very, very important because we get why he was so hellbent on concealing or hiding his identity because no Japanese resistance group would ever willingly trust and follow a britannian At least not that easily. Mm. So, um yeah, I think it was this whole thing played out very smart on L- Lelouch's part because him bringing callan and the others to meet with this guy whose name I already forgot, um who Kirihara. took in Yeah, the guy who took in Lelouch um when he was younger. Uh this is just a way of hopefully dispelling those doubts that some of the resistance or some of the Black Knights have about Lelouch's identity. Because we get, I don't know what his name is, the redhead with the headband? He, he was uh, there with Ogi and Callan. He's always like on this this thing about knowing Lelouch's identity. And even in that moment when Lelouch took off his helmet to show his face, he was like, I can't see, I can't see. So I think it was a smart move on him to just really reinforce that like you may not be able to see who I am, but don't doubt my intentions.
1: Mm-hmm. My question in this episode was, who is that mysterious man in the shades on the school roof? Do you remember that?
0: No, I don't. Wait, what happened?
1: I think there was some point in the episode where this figure is watching. I forget who who the characters are, but it's some man in shades. I'm sure this is going to be addressed um, in the next episode or some point in the second half, but I'm just wondering who that person is keeping tabs on
0: once again you're safe because i do not remember this Mm -hmm. i'll probably remember it once it's revealed later on but like at this point i'm i'm not sure
1: yeah the other thing is that there's a mention by um lloyd from the special corps who says that someone named Rakshata is working with the enemies i guess i don't know if she's the one who is supplying the those burai mecca from kyoto um but yeah those two two figures that i want to look more into um with the next episodes um the man on the roof and rakshata
0: you don't want to see more of nina whacking it
1: no (laughs) fuck her
0: and at the end of the episode lelouch finally sees the consequences of his actions when shirley's dad is killed in the avalanche he was okay up until this point sacrificing some of his own men and feels that casualties are part of war but when he reaches this point you know he hasn't really had something hit this close to home Um, Again, directly based on his own actions. So this, I think, puts major perspective, uh, puts things into major perspective for him. And I do want to call out that as you know, cold-hearted as Lush can be, he does care a lot about his friends at school. I mean, he obviously cares, you know, so much about Nunnally, but he also cares greatly about his friends because we see multiple instances in this first half where he'll be in the middle of a battle or disguised as Zero. And he'll get like a text or a call from one of his friends or one of them is in a bad situation. And he actively takes a moment and thinks about them and worries about them or reflects on them. You know, he he might not always answer those calls or those texts, but he never really ignores them or brushes them off. Um, he always, I think like if he could answer, he would. He, he like actually sits there and looks at his phone. And he's like, I wonder why this person is calling and clearly, you know, can't answer because of the situation.
1: Yeah, the death of Shirley's father just emphasizes like the the extent of Lelouch's actions in terms of like hu- humanizing his decisions because now he's not just fighting like an oppressive regime, like his decisions may come at very personal costs um to those that are around him. And you know, I'm just wondering if this is going to become more of a factor and when and how he uses uh, the power of kios.
0: And it's also interesting, too, um, tying in, you know, the, the humanizing piece of it and, and him caring about his friends. Like, these are Britannians, fellow Britannians. They're not Japanese. I mean, obviously, Callan and Suzaku are Japanese. But these are other Britannians, and I think he needs to— have that reminder that, you know, you might be going up against the Britannians, but they're not all bad people, just like not all Japanese people are are bad. Mm-hmm. Um so yeah, I think this really kind of just hit home for him. And and is in a very vulnerable you know, place. She's upset and conflicted and Lelouch clearly feels bad because he again cares about his friends and she asks, you know, if Zero's supposed to be a good guy, why did he kill my dad? Um so he he just needs to be Lelouch needs to be careful mm-hmm. Otherwise, he could turn people against Zero if he's too reckless, and then they kiss.
1: Yeah, that I don't know. That was weird. <laughs> it was. It
0: was like kind of forced, like on Shirley's part, which I get. She has a crush on him, but I was mm-hmm. like, maybe a hug, but a kiss. Like, oh, okay, that's that's yeah, fine, I guess. <laughs> she
1: just needed that opening to finally, you know, seal a romantic deal with Lelouch. Yeah, that At a and- very like mournful event, though.
0: Yeah. That and, you know, as if the, the plot itself weren't already complex, they also need to add complexity to the love triangle. I don't even know what it is at this point. Like, love something that's going on here.
1: Mm-hmm. So overall, what did you think of part one of Code Guías, Lelouch of the Rebellion, and what are you looking forward to in the second half?
0: Um, well, without, like, spoiling anything, because I've, I've seen this show before, I think this is a good start to the show, um, a good start to season one. Again, it's a lot. Like, you just have to go into it as a first-time viewer knowing that you're going to be up here and you're just going to stay up here the whole show. Like, there's a lot that they throw at you. The the complexities never stop. But it makes for this really rich story that just, like, keeps you on the edge of your seat. And you're just like, what the fuck is going to happen next? Like, what is Lelouch going to pull out of his ass and, you know, get him out of this situation or, or help progress his overall goal? So I think if you have that in mind when you go into it, you'll be set up for, um, for a really fun watch um if you're not set up for it then you'll kind of be confused in the beginning but it'll 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 be fine you'll you'll catch on to what's going on because they have little mini recaps every episode so you won't get too confused what about you
1: yeah first off i would say you know have a conspiracy board ready kind of like charlie (laughs) did so you can map out what the hell's going on but you know i walked into this show blindly and you know i had no idea what the premise was. Or even what Code Geass meant. But you know now that I've seen these first 12 episodes, I've realized that at the face, it seems to be a show about you know revolution and politics. But I think it dives a little more deeper into that. And I think what hooks me a lot with this show, um, once you get past all of the confusing plot lines in the beginning and trying to piece them together, is that it's a show that's about very complicated relationships and how character dynamics and... Morals are affected by them. So it feels less about the rebellion itself, or even to an extent, the power of Giyas, at least for this first half, and just more about the ties that kind of bind everyone. And from that, I'm really interested in the relationship or, I guess, the intertwined destinies of both Lelouch and Suzaku. Like, what's going to happen once they learn of each other's real identities with lelouch as zero the face of the rebellion and with suzaku as lancelot who is trying to crush or help britannia crush the rebellion
0: yeah you bring up a really good point that even though the show is called code geass and even though it's technically a mecca the mecca and geass kind of take a back seat to mm-hmm. the political drama and the relationships that they're establishing in the show um so yeah that is that's interesting
1: but to uh, kind of emphasize the point of geass like is as i mentioned with episode 12 will geass Continue to become like a factor in creating major turning points in the story, and kind of provide some background. Guas is actually an Irish or Welsh term, which is an inc- a compulsion laid on someone to do or not do something, and it's very impartial in concept, but it deals with like what are the consequences, whether benevolent or malevolent, of whatever these compulsions are. I think. Another interesting thing about Gias is there's an irony in it because it commands like this complete obedience right when when Lelouch uses it but it's being used against a regime that basically does the same thing. So there's a lot of danger in having this power and I am interested to see again what Lelouch is going to do with this now that he knows of the personal conf- consequences in this rebellion and what that could mean to a lot of the characters that he knows and loves
0: he's fighting fire with fire
1: mm-hmm. last thing is what exactly is shih tzu's deal and what is the one wish that she hopes lelouch can make true for her once all is said and done
0: more pizza hut yeah which by the way we want <laughs> we watched um code geass on netflix. netflix netflix and i remember when i first watched the show back in the day that you know, had those pizza hut not ads but you know what do you call it? Product, Product placement. placement. Um, they removed that in Netflix, and I'm not surprised. I think they've pretty much scrubbed all Pizza Hut references out of Code Geass, which I'm kind of sad about because that's just like one of those unique things that's tied to Code Geass. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like um the Pepsi ad in JoJo Part Three, and it's only in like one episode. And I don't want to give any spoilers for anyone who's not watched. Um, Oh, sorry, not part three, part four. Um, I don't want to give any spoilers to anyone who's not watched JoJo, although you should go watch JoJo. Um, but there's like a Pepsi billboard in one of the episodes in part four. But like they kept it. It's still in there on all the streaming services, but mm. they got rid of all the Pizza Hut ads or product placements in Code Geass. So I'll still always remember them as being there. And at least you know that they existed at one point.
1: Yeah, I mean, that just falls into copyright issues and paying for... Trademark set up here on streaming services, I'm sure,
0: but it's worth it. It's Pizza Hut,
1: yeah. Just call it Pizza Shack, Pizza Shack, <laughs> know, kind of like you know McDonald's or McRonald's. Oh, yeah, or,
0: from um The uh, Devil's a Part Timer, yeah, uh,
1: Inzio from like Great Pretender, yeah. <laughs> so, um, last thing with CC, what is her goddamn name?
0: You'll find out. <laughs> I hope so. And that wraps up episode 27 of Strictly Anime. New episodes premiere every other Monday. You can follow us on Instagram at The Strictly Series and on Twitter at Strictly Series. And check out our website, thestrictlyseries.com, where you can reach out to us to share your thoughts on the anime that we review or on Nina Whacking It. You'll also find more info on Strictly Jojo, our other podcast dedicated to Jojo's bizarre adventure, as I'm looking at Carl and he's smiling. Thank you so much for listening. And as always, stay safe, stay healthy, stay weeb.
1: Nina, what the fuck?